You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, the local's weekly news podcast. We're recording this episode on Thursday the 23rd of November and this week we're going to talk about a new government inquiry on permanent residency. We'll consider why it is that Swedish meetings are unlikely to deliver laughs and why that may not be a bad thing. We'll discuss life expectancy in Sweden and some pros and cons of the Swedish healthcare system. We'll hear from an expert on the likelihood of catching a glimpse of the Northern Lights this winter. We'll look ahead to this weekend's Sweden Democrat and Left Party Congresses. And finally, we'll take a closer look at cost of living increases and how they are affecting people living in Sweden. I'm Paul O'Mahony and I'm in Stockholm today and I'm joined from Malmö by our regular panellists, Becky Waterton and Richard Orange. All good down there? Lovely. Yeah, very exciting because tickets for Eurovision have just gone on sale. Or they have not just Ooh. gone sale, but the date at which they will go on sale has been announced. Go on, tell us. They will when, go, when on will they go on sale November 28th at 10am Swedish time. So that is next Tuesday. Yeah. And it's exciting for you particularly because the Eurovision is going to be in Malmö, right? Exactly. So I've, my phone's going crazy with my friends like, oh, let's try and get tickets. Can I stay with you? That kind of thing. Right. Well, no one can stay with me because I've rented out my flat for 500 euros a night. <laughs> well, but I haven't re- I haven't rented it out. I've stuck it up on Airbnb, which according to Becky is illegal. It's not illegal. We, we have actually written an article on what you should think about when putting up your flat for rent on Airbnb. There's like specific rules on the amount of money you're allowed to charge. Okay. Oh, well, we can link to that in the notes then. That sounds like a useful article. But no one has bought, so I might have to like reduce it <laughs> to something more reasonable. But I'm not going to be in Malmö. I'm getting out. It's probably a good idea. It's a killjoy. All right, let's um, start with this week's news that the government has launched an inquiry on toughening up permanent residency requirements. This is something the right-wing coalition government and their support party, the far-right Sweden Democrats, promised they would do when they signed the TIDA agreement last year. And they're gradually making their way through all the pledges in the deal. So what exactly is the inquiry going to look at and when are we likely to be able to read its conclusions? Well, essentially, it's going to investigate how to make it possible to revoke the residence permits of immigrants who have what's referred to as a bristande levnadsätt, which is kind of a vague term, but basically translates to something like having a flawed way of life. So immigrants applying for permanent residence permits already have to show that they live an orderly life, basically that they don't have any debts with the Swedish Enforcement Authority, Kronofogden, and they haven't committed any major crimes. 
But under the new proposal, this would be extended to include things like benefits cheating, abusing the welfare system in other ways, being involved or associating with gang crime or terrorist activities, as well as statements which threaten democracy or threaten the Swedish system. So one example of this, which the migration minister, Maria Malmö-Stenagård, mentioned, was the LVU campaign, this campaign that went viral after spreading the conspiracy theory that Swedish social services routinely kidnap Muslim children. So, so far, this is just an inquiry, which means that there's quite a long way to go before it can actually become a law. We've got an article on the website as well with information on how a law in Sweden gets made. It's a bit of a complicated process. But this specific part of the legislative process, the inquiry, will present its report by January 15th, 2025 at the latest and then after that there's a load of other steps that need to happen before it can become law. Thanks Becky and we'll link in the show notes to our article on this. Richard, you wrote a nice piece this week about different cultures approaches to meetings and presentations. Can you tell us what prompted you to write the article and what you gleaned from chatting to a couple of intercultural communications experts? Yeah, I was I was at a sort of creative filmy event in Malmo and there was uh, someone was droning on about uh, some kind of program they had with the municipality. And I just kind of thought, my God, she's being dull. Uh, and I just kind of thought, why is it that quite often when you have like a presentation or something, people just make no effort here to be engaging or interesting or funny or mm. or crack jokes. And and I was kind of grumbling about it. And then I suddenly thought, well, actually, maybe it's not so negative. Maybe it's part of this kind of flat hierarchy where everyone has the kind of right to say their piece. And the flip side of that is that everybody is kind of trained from a very young age to kind of to listen and to pay attention to what other people are saying and it's it's mm. there's a kind of give and take about it which i obviously don't share being kind of <laughs> impatient and not able right. to listen to people as they as they say their piece and so i kind of thought well maybe you know there's a flip side to what i would see as as a kind of the boring swedish presentation and so i spoke to Anne peel who's a an irish woman who's been living in Sweden for ages and runs an intercultural communication agency and Sophie Tesfian Devol, who we've had on the podcast before, who had two kind of intercultural communications efforts. And they both kind of agreed with me. So Anne Peel was saying that, you know, it, it's very much the sort of go-to tone is, is to be very neutral when you're making a presentation or, or speaking in public and very factual and very to the point and just kind of say impart the information in the simplest and most kind of undramatic way possible. And she also thought that there was a possibly a, a Yantilagan element as well. Uh, or, and, and definitely Safita Sfeard and Devo thought there was a, a, a Yantilagan element as well, which is that it's not welcome in Sweden to be seen as too good or too striking or, or to really stand out. You know, you're supposed to fit in. It's teamwork that's important. It's the collective. So so Safita Sfeard and Devo said she's heard of people who've been told that their presentation was actually too good <laughs> too or too interesting because the kind of thinking is that then that means that that raises the bar for everybody else who has to talk so it will discourage other people if you you go up there and like blow people away with this dramatic presentation that has all sorts of graphics bouncing around on the screen it's going to make everyone else think well I don't have that you know I've just got some some bullet points you know and then they won't <laughs> and then they won't want to talk so yeah so they kind of back me up on it and I, I think I think it's kind of interesting to try and learn the rules of group communication in Sweden because it is so different from how it is in the UK and Ireland and the US. I think the UK people would tend to make a joke, even if it's bad, just to kind of put people at ease and to make it more sort of lighthearted and less serious. And it, 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 English people, particularly, I don't know about 
British people and Irish people tend to not make, try and not make things too serious. Whereas Sweden, Swedes don't have that rule. You're supposed to be serious. People have come here. Why waste their time with stuff that isn't serious? This all yeah. makes me think of the discussion we had a while ago about wedding speeches. Everyone can just stand up and hold a speech. There's no like rules. Everyone has their their chance to say what they want. And it's not like these entertaining best man speeches that maybe other people are used to in other cultures. Yeah, no, absolutely. Swedish wedding speeches are actually really something because it's really from the heart, I find. People say it very simply, but they just say in a very simple way, this is why you mean so much to me. And they just put yeah. it like, bang. It's really crystallized. And I think because of that can be really powerful. Yeah, but then that 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 also kind of, that makes sense. You're not like, you're not trying to entertain. It's not your job to entertain everyone at the wedding. It's, it's your job. You. It's your it's... job to tell the bride and groom what it is, or the groom and groom or the bride and bride, what it is that you like about them and why you're happy they're getting married, I guess. No, yeah, I absolutely agreed. It's much less about showing off. Yeah, no, really good. I think there's a really good cultural insights. Um, thanks for that. And Richard, your article on this is a, a really enjoyable read and we'll include a link to it in the notes. Let's talk now about healthcare and life expectancy in Sweden. The EU's uh, statistics agency Eurostat released numbers recently showing how long people are expected to live across different countries and regions in Europe. And the OECD also put out a report looking at healthcare provisions. So first of all, uh, what are the Eurostat numbers telling us about life expectancy in Sweden, Becky? Well, it's pretty good, at least for you guys up in Stockholm, who have the highest life expectancy of any region in Scandinavia. So that's Sweden, Denmark and Norway. And the second highest life expectancy across the Nordic countries as a whole, beaten only by Orland in Finland, where people live half a year longer than Stockholmers. Orland is also very close to Stockholm, so I don't know if there's something in the water there. It's the fish. Yeah, the fish or the sea breeze or something. They speak Swedish too, so maybe people that speak Swedish in that region. I don't know. I'm going off on a tangent here. Anyway, Stockholm also has the eighth highest life expectancy in the EU, which is pretty good. And what's the breakdown like between men and women? For Sweden specifically, we have the smallest gender gap after Norway when it comes to life expectancy. So that's the smallest gender gap in the EU, EEA, uh, after Norway when it comes to life expectancy. Women live on average for 84.9 years, while men live on average for 81.3 years. This difference was greatest in Stockholm. Women there can expect to live to 86 and men to 82.1 years. And lowest in West Sweden, where women live to 84.9 and men to 81.5. And uh, what's the difference like between different regions? There's not a huge difference, really. People on average in Stockholm live for 84.1 years, while in Sweden's most short-lived region, Central Norland, people have an average life expectancy of 82.2 years. And then mm. down here in Skåne, me and Richard can expect to live until we're 82.9 Okay. And what about the OECD study? What are the numbers that stand out most there for Sweden in terms of healthcare? Yeah, so this this study looked at healthcare provision in Sweden compared to other OECD countries. And essentially, things are pretty good. Life expectancy for the country as a whole is 83.1 years. So that's 2.8 years above the OECD average. On most indicators, Sweden recorded better results than other OECD countries. So health status category, which includes things like having a low preventable mortality rate, a low prevalence of diabetes, a low percentage of people rating their health as bad or very bad. We perform better than OECD average on 89% of indicators. Quality of care. So that's like 
mortality after stroke, breast cancer screenings, we perform better than the average on 72% of indicators. And for access to care, we perform better on a whopping 94% of indicators. We also smoke and drink less than the OECD average. Fewer people are obese and fewer people die from air pollution. The category where we performed worst was in the health system resources category. But I mean, even Mm -hmm. here, we were higher than the average on just over half of indicators. So that's 53%. Some specific areas where Sweden performed poorly compared to other OECD countries was the opioid mortality rate, which was higher. More staff in Sweden felt they didn't have enough time with patients and we have much fewer hospital beds and intensive care beds per capita. I think we actually had the lowest number of intensive care beds of the OECD per capita. Yeah. Areas where we did really well was having a low preventable mortality rate, high cervical cancer screenings and a high satisfaction with healthcare coverage. And we had almost the lowest number of over 65 year olds who considered themselves severely limited in their daily activities due to their health, which is pretty good news. Great. And I think Richard wrote up an article on this um, this week, right? I did, but I didn't go into as much detail about the OECD study, but there is... Um, yeah, Richard did the uh, Eurostat. Mainly the Eurostat. Okay, good. So we can, we can link to that in the notes. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're going to move on now to the spectacular phenomenon that is the Northern Lights. I spoke this week to Chad Blakely, the founder of the tour operator Lights Over Lapland, about his tips for taking great photographs of the Aurora Borealis. But first, we chatted about why the next few months might be the best chance many of us get to witness the Northern Lights in action. I don't like to get too far ahead of myself, but the expectations are extremely high. And the only reason I'm willing to step out on a limb and say the expectations are high is because the reality of what we're seeing and what we have seen since it became astronomically dark uh, in late September is the reality matches the expectations. We are seeing more powerful auroras than we've ever seen. One of the gentlemen who works for us, he's been a guide for a decade, been out there for 10 years. He's been there through the last solar minimum, right back up to this solar maximum. And he said multiple times this season, I've never seen anything like that. Uh, And that's the sort of thing we're getting back from all of our guests. And I think it's quite interesting because we have a, a webcam. It's actually the oldest running Aurora Borealis webcam on planet Earth. And you can go right back and look through the catalog and compare pictures from a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, all the way back. And what we're seeing right now really and truly is uh, the most powerful and the most uh, repetitive, really intense northern lights. And in the years outside of a solar maximum, you do get really powerful roars. Don't get me wrong. 
But what's happening now is we're getting really powerful auroras night after night after night. And that's not to guarantee that if you go up north, you're going to absolutely, without a doubt, see the most powerful aurora you've ever seen. But I can say right now and next season uh, and potentially the season thereafter are quite literally the best time in any of our lifetimes to be able to go and see the Northern Lights. So do it while you can. Do it now. What tips would you have for anybody um, planning on taking photographs of the aurora for the first time? If you can, I always recommend to try to book a tour with a photographer who knows what they're doing. Because the reality of things is, most likely, if you're out on some frozen lake looking at the lights, it's going to be cold, it's going to be dark. Most people will have never used their camera equipment in that sort of an environment. So to have someone there to really help you is very, very beneficial. So if you can, hire someone that knows what they're doing. If you cannot do that, there are really some, some fundamental basics. You want to dress warm, clearly. If you're, you're cold, you can't stay out under the lights. And the lights tend to come right about the time you get cold and want to go inside and get a cup of hot chocolate. So dress properly. The other thing is to just read a little bit of the basics about how Aurora photography works. Uh, my website has that sort of thing. If you just do a quick Google search for how to take pictures of the Northern Lights, you'll certainly find that sort of thing. But I think the really critical part is you need to have some basic fundamentals. You need to understand that your ISO needs to be high. But you need to understand that your shutter speed will likely be anywhere from one second to 20 seconds, depending upon how uh, intense the auroras are. You need to think a bit about manual focus and how to focus on infinity. Looking back my first year or two of photographs, all of the stars were just ever so slightly blurry because I didn't realize, you know, I need to really focus on making sure that everything is set at infinity, which is very easy to do once you learn how to do it. I would recommend that you bring lots of spare batteries. Batteries, especially in modern uh, mirrorless cameras, they die very, very quickly. So bring spare batteries. As those batteries start to get cold, uh, take them out. And I, I usually put them in a breast pocket inside in my closest layer towards my body because as the batteries get warmer, they kind of come back to life and the chemistry inside really starts to get going. The other thing, and this is really important, is once you've gone outside, once you've got your camera cold, you do not want to take that camera back into a warm car or a warm building because everything immediately will just get full of condensation and your night's over. It will not be usable for the rest of the night. So uh, we always have our guests put their camera back in their backpack and you bring the camera into the warmth in the backpack. And then the condensation forms on the backpack rather than on the camera. Uh, so you can still take the camera in and out and use it, but you have to do it the right way. That was Chad Blakely from Lights Over Lapland. And we actually have a couple of previous articles featuring Chad and his photography tips, which we will link to in the notes. Can I just like jump in here? I just think it's, it's an amazingly huge tourism phenomenon, the, the, the Northern Lights. Yeah. Like when I, w I went up to Abisko a few years ago and all of the hotels were full of people, mainly from China, and loads of Chinese people who've just come to Sweden just to look at the Northern Lights. I thought it kind of it's amazing, and they just kind of, and they sort of don't do very much. They just kind of sit there and go out at night and look at the sky, hoping that it comes. People yeah. can travel thousands of miles and then not catch them. I have a few friends that tried to watch, tried to see the Northern Lights, and the first night they got there, they were like, "Oh, we're tired. We'll just go to bed." And that was the only night where there were Northern Lights. <laughs> oh no! Yeah. Our sponsor this week is Tele2 IoT. And the reason we're partnering with them is to tell you about an event taking place at Space Arena in Stockholm on the 29th of November. 
It's Tele2 IoT's annual flagship event focused on the Internet of Things. And this year, panelists will look at what's coming up across a range of highly topical issues, including smart cities, connected care, sustainability, mobility, building automation and autonomous vehicles. If this sounds interesting, you'll find a link in the show notes where you can find out more and sign up. We're reaching the end of the political party congress season in Sweden. Last week, we mentioned that the Green Party were electing a new male spokesperson and the winner was the party's favoured candidate, Daniel Heldén, but he only got in by a whisker, defeating his challenger, Magnus P. Volin, by 131 votes to 130. It's just a single votes margin. This weekend, it's the turn of the parties that occupy the positions furthest to the left and right of Sweden's parliamentary spectrum. So first, the left party. What's the state of play for the left party, Richard, as they go into their Congress this weekend? Unlike the Greens, Liberals or Christian Democrats, the party is actually doing okay in the polls. It got 7.4% in the latest Novus poll, which is it's a it's a percentage point or so below some of the the, the best results it's had recently, but it's m- still better than the six point eight percent they got in the election. In the media, there's been a bit of upheaval recently after mm. Björn Alling, a left party politician from Linköping, was kicked out because he had mounted a personal attack on the party's leader Nushi Dagestar. And he said that it was pretty full on, actually. He said that her condemnation mm. of Hamas's attack in October had been fierce or weak, and amounted to at Slickar, Zionist Rev, which means licking the arse of Zionists. So it's pretty over-the-top attack. And he's also been doing this for years. He's Ever since she got elected leader, he's been sort of fighting a kind of verbal battle from the sidelines. So I, 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 right. I don't actually think she's weakened by putting her foot down because he had it coming. I think she would have looked weaker if she hadn't, to be honest. Uh, and what are the most important items on the political agenda for Dad Gostar's party when uh, they convene in Yan Shopping this weekend? Well, it's, it's not a congress in quite the same way as the other ones we've seen this month. It's kind of like a, like a kind of festival. So there's talks and lectures and workshops and speakers from the kind of left flying in from across the region. There's no votes. There's no kind of party business. It's all about it's all about um, sharing ideas. And, you know, it's quite expensive. It's also about fundraising. It costs uh, 3,000 kroner to attend. In terms of what they're going to be talking about, one of the big things that's been talked about was that earlier this month, they presented their new party programme, which I think is the first new party programme in about 10 years. And in that, they've ditched some of the more radical long-term goals. So they've taken out the language about Sweden leaving the European Union, the language about Sweden seeking to dissolve the NATO alliance, and also language about abolishing the capitalist system and the class system. So they've taken away the kind of more full-on former kind of communist goals. So it's a sort of sign the party becoming a bit more pragmatic. But none of these things is up to a vote but they will talk about it. So there'll be workshops on the new party programme and the person who came up with it will discuss you know, why, why these changes have been made. The Sweden Democrats hold their Congress this weekend in Vesteros. How are they feeling about life after their first year propping up the government? I mean, I think close to ecstatic. I mean, mm. th- th- these uh, if you look at how it's, this Congress has been reported in the Swedish media, people are talking about it, you know, a celebratory Congress, that this is going to be, you know, it's it's all about just saying, look at what we've done. I think, I suspect they're finding it hard to believe 
just how much of their politics is being enacted. You know, first the Tito agreement, they wouldn't have expected to have got all of those policies in. And then they wouldn't have expected the, the, the government to actually pump out, to basically do exactly what they said they would do. And uh, I, I think they probably came into government a bit suspicious that they would be somehow yeah. somehow deceived. And, and it doesn't seem like they have been. The moderates have just been doing exactly what they agreed to do. And mm. the moderates and the Christian Democrats and the Liberal Party. And even more so, I mean, the moderates and have also increasingly been adopting the kind of Sweden Democrat rhetoric. They haven't just had a small breakthrough, they've had a complete breakthrough. And in the polls, some recent polls have showed that they've had more support from people in the country than all of the three government parties put together, as I think we've mentioned in previous episodes. So you could not be at a higher high. What will they be talking about this weekend? Well, looking at the motions, there's a lot about Sweden and the European Union, so so-called Swexit. And I suppose the most, the thing that's been written about most in the Swedish media is there's a proposal from Ung Svenskarna, the party's youth wing, who are quite under central party control in the Sweden Democrats. They've put forward a proposal for Sweden to have a formal appraisal of like the pros and cons of EU membership. If this inquiry decides that it's not good for Sweden, then to suggest a referendum on, on, on getting out of it. But there's a whole load of EU proposals. So there's motions pushing for Sweden to leave Schengen, which is this free movement area in the EU, in Norway. There's motions pushing for Sweden to leave the EU completely. There's motions pushing for Sweden to secure a formal opt-out from the euro. And there's been speculation recently in um, Swedish political podcasts about whether Jimmy Åkesson could be prime minister after the next election. What's the consensus there? I mean, I think the consensus is still that the party is not mature enough and that the moderates wouldn't back him and the Christian Democrats probably wouldn't back him. But it serves both the Sweden Democrats and the left-wing opposition, the Social Democrats and the left party and the Green Party, to talk about it like it is a real possibility because it will scare off a lot of voters in the centre. But I actually think it's not impossible. I, I mean, I, I can imagine a scenario if it's a very close between the two blocks and the Sweden Democrats are much bigger than the moderates and they say, well, we're not going to back you, we're twice your size. And then there's a stalemate and the Social Democrats can't get a majority of MPs not to vote, to vote against their prime ministerial candidate. And no one else can either. And the only possibility is Jimmy Orkerson getting the support of the Christian Democrats and the moderates. I don't know what would happen. I think it could be difficult for the moderates and for the government at the moment, because, you know, they've kind of already welcomed the Sweden Democrats into the fold it would be difficult for them to now say, no, we will never work with this party. Because, you know, they've already started working with them. They've already they've already made policy together with them. If they then, mm. after the next election, say, oh, actually, no, we're going to go into coalition with the Social Democrats, who we've just been complaining about for the last four years, because anything's better than not having the Sweden Democrats. Like, okay, mm. well, why were you working with them last mandate period? Exactly. I think you're right. It would be, it would be difficult to... It, I think both would be really difficult. Like I said, it, who knows? I mean, look at the Netherlands. Gert Wehler's has just won the election in the Netherlands. So there we go. It can happen. So briefly, in other politics news, Prime Minister Ulf Christensen was at Pustavik in Gothenburg this week for a public Q&A session that ended up making headlines. Can you tell us about what happened there? Yeah, um, I mean, it's one of these after work. So I don't know if, if you remember, but but it's similar to what happened in Malmo when one of his Q&As with Elizabeth Funston was interrupted by Extinction Rebellion. But this time, there were lots of pro-Palestinian demonstrators collecting outside the venue, 
even before he started to speak. And then when he started speaking, there was loads of booing and shouting and they got dragged away. And on Twitter, a lot of people on the right right wing in Swedish politics are outraged by this and they see it as a challenge to freedom of speech. And people are going, you know, the Nazis started by disrupting political meetings. You know, this is the beginning of of uh, that. I'd go the other way. I mean, it's isn't it freedom of speech to protest meetings? I think I think that's kind of normal. But but there's been lots of outrage about this and outrage about the fact that people are supporting the Palestinians. And the other thing, a sort of smaller side story to this, is that when he was talking on the stage, he said that Israel has a right to, and he said what people think. He he sort of misspoke. And what he said was Israel has a right to commit genocide when he meant to say Israel has a right to defend himself. And it's a little similar to when Magdalena Anderson was talking in parliament about Jamal el-Hajj. She called him Jamal Hamas. And so some people, and that also caused a bit of ridicule, but also more serious criticism on, on social media. So I mean, there was a great tweet today by Nicholas Arrhenius, who's a journalist with Dagens Nyheter, and he was mm. saying that, you know, some people are saying that Ulf Christensen's saying Israel has a right to commit genocide and Magdalena Anderson saying Jamal Hamas, ha- that there's some significance to this. But the two groups of people seem to be, there seems to be zero overlap between them. You know, and, and his point is that, come on, guys. I mean, that both of these are clearly trips of the tongue and there yeah. is no greater significance whatsoever. It doesn't mean that Magdalena Anderson supports Hamas. It doesn't mean that Ulf Christensen thinks that Israel should be allowed to completely wipe out all the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. You know, it, both of these are trips of the tongue and to be honest, people should just ignore it. I, 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 I kind of agree. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it just kind of fed fed the outrage machines and that the kind of discourse on social media at the moment in Sweden is is just so polarized polarized and angry especially about the Israel Gaza conflict as a word so I, anything that happens feeds into it as a word i quite like in swedish you describe things as infekterad like infected yeah. toxic yeah yeah and i yeah. think that the whole question is infekterad it is. It is. It's hard to. It's hard to actually be on social media. I think. I think I'm going to take a holiday from social media. It's. It's making me unhappy and anxious. Thanks for that. And politics roundup. And we'll put all the relevant links in the episode notes for anyone who wants more details. Let's finish today by talking about living costs in Sweden and the repercussions of the economic slowdown. While we've been recording, the Swedish Central Bank or Riksbank has just announced that it will keep interest rates unchanged at 4%. How do you interpret this, Richard? Is there finally light at the end of the tunnel for people worried how these increases have been damaging their personal finances? Well, absolutely. I mean, it, it's 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 amazing news if you've got a, a big mortgage and uh, and uh, like Becky, <laughs> she's like pointing at herself over there. Becky, Becky looks gleeful here and is struggling to make your monthly payments because it's a significant increase. You know, if it if it went up, you know, by another click, it would have put real pressure on a lot of people who are already under a lot of pressure. I mean, I have to admit, I, I'm a bit surprised. I was expecting them to to give it one last to increase it one last bit just to make sure that inflation is has yeah. been stopped and that inflation yeah. expectations aren't allowed to run away with each other because the inflation in Sweden is still quite high. It's still at 6%, I think. 
in the 6. last 5, month. Yeah. 6.5 in the last month, which is not the decrease in inflation you've seen in Denmark mm. or in the UK or in lots of other countries. So it's one thing to point at inflation outside of Sweden and go, oh, you know, it's gone down everywhere. But it hasn't gone down in Sweden and the krona is still weak. So I'm surprised. And, and you know, it may, you know, hopefully it will turn out to be the right decision. But I'm worried that it won't. And it will mean that the issues with inflation will carry on for longer. I saw um, SBAB, they're a state-owned bank that give mortgages uh, earlier this week. There's kind of head economist, Robert Boye, was basically like, please don't raise it. Don't raise it. Mm. Like, don't. Like, he said, smart grens and a nod, which is like, we have reached the pain threshold. He was basically yeah. like, do not raise it, or lots of people will be very, very poor and will be struggling. And SBAB will have lots of non performing loans, uh, lots of customers who can't pay their mortgages, yeah. and it will be a real disaster for yeah. them. But they're, they're state owned, so I don't know if, and I think they have a lot of. Swedish mortgages. So I think I don't know. I wonder if they had a if the Riksbank thought about what they were saying. But then like even Swedbank and stuff like that, they were they were predicting it would go up. I think it was about 50-50 when I was looking at the forecasts from most of the banks, is that most of them were like, ah, probably raise it 0.25 percentage points. But yeah. I'm happy it's not been raised. <laughs> and Becky, you wrote this week about how food prices are twenty-six percent higher now than they were two years ago. I mean, that's a lot. Can you tell us a bit about what you found? I can. Um, it's a bit of a mixed bag, really. According to the stats, which are from Statistics Sweden, food prices are higher than they were two years ago. They rose consistently for 16 months between November 2021 and April 2023. But they've kind of remained stable since then, rising some months and dropping in others. The categories which have increased in price the most are coffee, tea and cocoa, fish mm-hmm. and oils and fats, which all rose over 30% each. Uh, over that period. And the individual products that have risen the most in price are oranges and tomatoes, which increased by 89% and 80% respectively. And you also looked at the prognosis for next year. What are the cost of living expectations in Sweden for 2024? Um, Again, a bit of a mixed bag in this document, which is the economic outlook by Swedbank. I think they do them once a quarter. Sweden will be the only one of 12 countries in the report to have a negative GDP next year. They predict it will shrink Mm. by 0.4%. The major plus point for those of us who own our homes is that both Swedbank and Handelsbanken predict that mortgage rates will start to drop in the second quarter of next year. Right. Um, although you can forget the like one or two percent mortgage rates we saw a few years ago before this kind of whole crisis started. They expect rates to drop to around 3.5 to 4% over the next two years. Essentially, both banks expect things that will probably get a little bit worse this winter before they get better around spring or summer next year. Okay, so a little bit more of a, a positive outlook next year. Yeah. Okay, thanks for that. And we'll we'll include um, articles about the cost of living and the economic forecast in the show notes. Uh, that's all we have time for this week. If you like the podcast, please pass it on to someone else you think might enjoy it. Sweden in Focus has mostly spread through word of mouth and we really appreciate your help in getting it out to more listeners. Our panellists today were Becky Waterton and Richard Orange. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. I'm Paul O'Mahony and we'll be back again next week with a brand new episode. Until then, take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.